Welcome to another edition of VLGA Connect, where we're having some terrific conversations around the local government sector and beyond. And we're going slightly beyond today. It is my pleasure to have with us Victoria's Commissioner for Children and Young People, Liana Buchanan, on the program. Hello, Liana, and welcome. Hello, Chris. It's good to be here. Fabulous to have you too. Um, like everyone, you're working at home. Uh, we were talking just before we, we, we came on, uh, six or so weeks getting used to the new normal. And I gather you've had a few of these conversations via video conferencing recently about the world of COVID-19 and how it particularly is impacting on children and young people. Yeah, look, that's, that's right. Uh, as, as we would all know and we'd all imagine, the implications of, um, of what's happening at the moment for children and young people are, are really significant, both in the short term and the, and the long term. I suppose one of the things that I've been really, um, really conscious of and frankly really concerned about is how at the moment for so many children, particularly those in um, more vulnerable uh, families, families doing it tough, those children are really um, not visible in the way they normally are. So the access to supports and just to other people uh, keeping an eye out for them that they usually have in their day-to-day -day world just isn't there. So that's been one of the things that I've been very, very focused on, uh, trying to make sure that we are as best we can, even though we can't have the level of face-to-face -face contact with children and their families, that we don't absolutely uh, leave these kids out of view. So um, I've heard you talk in a few interviews now, and I think I've seen some, some materials released where you, you state that this shift to greater online engagement and services being delivered by phone, etc., presents some particular risks for children and young people. What, what sort of risks are you referring to there? So look, I, sh I want to start by saying, uh, particularly because I'm so concerned about the lack of visibility and the lack of supports for children outside the home at the moment, um, I really support organisations that are in this period working out how they can change their mode of service delivery for children and young people, how they can keep that contact. But of course, for most workers, for most services, that contact is now mostly going to be online or maybe by phone. There's lots of good bits to that, but it does create some significant new risks. Probably the most obvious or significant one is that given a lot of that contact might have to be one-on-one -on -one contact between a worker or a volunteer uh, and a child, the obvious risk is an increased risk of grooming. Now, there's ways to mitigate those risks. Mm. Uh, and part of what we at the Commission are very keen to make sure organisations are doing, are thinking that through so before they shift uh, and move some of their service delivery modes to that online and, and phone uh, contact. Make sure they've done the thinking. What kind of oversight, what kind of management needs to be in place to make sure uh, that all of the risks of grooming or inappropriate conduct, conduct uh, is, is, is absolutely minimised. There are a whole raft of other risks, uh, and I won't go into all of them in um, great detail, but of course, the increased risk of cyberbullying. We know that children and young people are spending more time online uh, than ever before. Um, similarly, the risks of privacy breaches. Uh, there's a whole raft of different uh, uh, new emerging risks that I think um, means we all have to become a bit more tech savvy. Uh, that's easier for yeah. some of us than others, but we have to understand what are the security risks, what are the privacy risks, what are the child safe settings, how do we make sure that as we shift our mode of uh, engaging with children and young people, how we don't introduce a whole raft of new risks to that context. 
I'd, I'd like to get your your insights and observations, particularly how local governments can perhaps perform well in this space. My, my take is that many councils are quite advanced in the way they design and deliver youth services. Some councils aren't even in that space as it's not what you'd call a traditional core function, particularly for the smaller ones. What is your um, observation on how local government can best uh, be placed in managing these sorts of risks? So there's a couple of things that I would say. Um, again, going back to the reality that many, many families and the children and those families are at home and at home uh, cut off from access to the usual workers and services that they might see. If I think about local government, if I think about childcare services, if I think about maternal and child health workers, some of the workers and the professionals in local government settings are actually the ones who are managing to maintain some line of sight over what's happening for those children. Mm. So um, I kind of, as I said before, support that. And I'm actually, I see some of uh, the examples of the work that those um, professionals and services do to try and make sure that families who need help are getting it even at the moment. And I'm personally incredibly grateful for that. The other thing that I would say, and you're right that um, I see uh, local governments doing this to varying degrees, but um, youth services and work with children and young people takes all kinds of forms uh, in local government. And again, I would say at a time when actually the activities for children and young people are really far reduced, a lot of children and young people are really struggling with isolation, with boredom, with lack of, uh, lack of social contact. There's such an opportunity for services in, in local government and for lo local governments more broadly to really step into that space. And it may be at a time where there are people with good skills and good capacity to engage with children and young people who can't do their normal work, whether they are swimming teachers or whether they're youth workers, they can't do the face-to-face -face work at the moment that they normally can. Mm -hmm. I really encourage local governments to think about how they can safely, but creatively step into looking at how, how, can they, how can they provide some different services in this very, very strange time. The final thing I'd say is that I think we all need to keep in mind that the impact of this pandemic is not going to be short term. Mm -hmm. We hope that we'll be outside uh, and past the incredible the, 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 the level of health crisis that we are currently facing. We hope that will be relatively soon, but of course we don't know. But we know that the, the social and economic impacts of uh, the pandemic are gonna last for a long time. And so local government, all services in local government, uh, are gonna be an important part of what will have to be, uh, across all governments, a really strong focus on making sure that we look after children, young people, families who are doing it tough in coming weeks and months because we're going to need uh, more of a safety net than ever before, I think. Do you, does your office and do you have a, a dialogue that often with local government? Is it a relationship that's fairly active? Yeah, we do in a whole raft of different ways. So um, probably the most, um, one of the most common ways that we're interacting with the local government is through our regulatory arm. So we uh, at the Commission for Children and Young People, we administer um, the Reportable Conduct Scheme and also the Child Safe Standards. So local government, uh, like uh, some other 50 to 60,000 organisations in Victoria, 
have to uh, meet the child safe standards. That's uh, a requirement by law. So we're often working with local government about what does that mean for them. Uh, and again, at the moment, child safe standards and implementing the standards really requires services, including local government, to think about what the new issues are from the way everyone's working in quite a different way. So we're engaged with local government uh, in, in that respect. We also, because quite a lot of uh, local government services provide um, uh, really positive services for children and for young people, um, we have pretty routine engagement with, with different parts of local government just to try and tap into what's happening for children and young people. And in fact, given COVID-19, both the current impacts and the impacts that we can anticipate on children and young people in coming months, we're really increasing that engagement. So uh, for those of um, uh, the people who are listening, who work in local government, particularly those who work in youth-focused areas in local government, you can expect to have contact with us because we're going to be reaching out very far and wide, trying to make sure we have the very best handle on how this is impacting children and young people so we can act as a conduit to, to government and to decision makers. Yes, and I imagine all of that applies uh, broadly to the education sector as well. And I'm interested in any observations you might have about how well equipped we've been as a society, as a community, to shift very quickly to this largely homeschooling environment that we have right now. It's, it's been quite a time, hasn't it? And I, 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 I speak as the parent of two primary school age uh, children. Uh, so it's been such a massive shift. Um, I think on the one hand, it's made many, many people in the community, certainly parents, uh, appreciate more about what teachers do, not only in their teaching uh, capacity, mm. but just their capacity to um, energise and support and motivate uh, children in the classroom every single day. On the other hand, there's no question it's caused incredible pressure and is still causing incredible pressure on many families um, uh, where parents are working and trying to do the, the juggle. It did have to happen very quickly. So not, none of us could really um, anticipate that we would have to move so quickly to a scenario where children would almost exclusively be learning online. Uh, Given that, I'm not going to um, pass criticism, but I think it's fair to say none of us were really prepared. Uh, mm. My biggest concern in this is for those children and those families where the children haven't been able to get the support for home learning uh, that they need. Mm. Uh, mm. There is a reality of for kids, particularly younger children, they need someone sitting there often kind of all through the day to support them, uh, to understand what's needed uh, and work through that. Now, not all families have the IT that they need. And although uh, there've been efforts to try and address that, that hasn't completely uh, managed to be resolved. Not all parents have the capacity, not all parents can read for heaven's sake. So there are absolutely some concerns for me about some of the children who at this time uh, will be facing some significant disadvantages in getting their education. I'm, I am worried that some of them won't be getting the education that they need. Yes, it's a bit of, about a level playing field, I guess, isn't it? So whereas um, there's been arrangements made for vulnerable children and children of essential workers to receive some in-school uh, education, you're talking about a group that are perhaps at risk of falling through the cracks. I think that's right. So there's two things that I'm worried about. Uh, I think the policy position to allow those groups of children you've described, children of essential uh, workers uh, and also vulnerable children, and that's quite broadly defined in the policy, that's an incredibly sound, sensible, good policy position. 
I'm a bit worried it hasn't um, operated or played out in practice. So the last data that I had said that certainly in government schools, around 3% of students are attending uh, school on site. Um, now, if I look at the proportion of children that I would think to be in that vulnerable category, let alone the children of essential workers, uh, I think there's a lot more than that. Mm. So I'm very keen to make sure. I know some schools are really going above and beyond. Uh, so the teachers are kind of keeping a particular eye on those children that they might have been a bit worried about beforehand, checking in, maybe checking in with the parents, really doing what they can to encourage those children to come into school. Uh, but mm. to my mind, that needs to be done across the board. That should be consistent. And certainly if we're going to have the status quo, uh, for um, uh, the coming weeks and months and maybe the whole of term two, uh, I really want to make sure that we're doing all we can to get those children who are more vulnerable, whose families aren't able to support them in their education into the school setting so they're not left behind. It's such an important role and it's uh, terrific to know that you're there looking out for, uh, for those kids and for these issues. How long have you been in the commissioner role? Uh, just over four years. You would never have imagined four years ago that you'd have a platform like you've got at the moment. I guess, you know, it's an ill wind that blows no good. This has given you an opportunity to really expose some of these issues that you might not have had otherwise. Do you see it that way? Uh, look, I think that's right. I mean, the, the sad reality is that um, long before COVID, there are whole groups of children in our community who are disadvantaged, who are living with violence, who are living with poverty, uh, who really need additional support uh, and so it's part of my job to continually uh, advocate for that and expose mm. some of where we need to do better uh, and you're right uh, four years ago I didn't imagine the pandemic four months ago uh, I didn't mm. imagine that we'd be where we are uh, it has uh, indeed meant that it's all the more important I think for me to raise the issues for these children and for us as a whole community to make sure that in a time where lots of people are struggling that we keep the right level of attention to these children because um, the issues for them, the risks for them are, are enormous. Very important work. Great to know you're there doing it. Thank you very much for being our guest on BLGA Connect. All the very best to you and thanks for your time. Thanks for your interest. Take care. We've been speaking with Liana Buchanan, the Commissioner for Children and Young People in Victoria, about the current situation and its effect on the needs of children and young people and how local government should be part of that conversation. That's all for now. If you'd like to get in touch about VLGA Connect with some suggestions, perhaps for future stories, we'd love to hear from you. We've been getting some great feedback and input and we'd like you to be part of that. Send us an email to vlga at vlga.org.au and I look forward to having you back for future episodes of VLGA Connect. Mm -hmm.